science was my most disliked subject. I can say that now. I turned determined when I started homeschool. I would never tell my children what I didn't like to learn for fear they would grab up yep. my emotion about it. Yep. So science was hard because I thought it was very boring. But when I was a homeschool mom, it was one of my favorite things. It was the fun thing we saved for later in the afternoon. From preschool to college, Nurturing My Nest walks a parent through the steps of tailoring your children's education to fit their particular learning styles, limitations, gifts, and goals. Leah Vance Simpson is the author, and she's our guest today here on Mid-South Viewpoint. Leah, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We've been talking with your husband about the unveiling of this new book, so wow. I'm really excited. It's actually in print. I mean, it's in it, our hands right it now. It is. It is. It's on Amazon, and it has a Kindle version as well. Well, we're going to spend the next half hour talking about this book. I mean, this book is full of everything from schedules to classes, from networking to keeping your home. I mean, there's so much in the 20 yes. chapters. Again, it's entitled Nurturing My Nest. It really gives readers a very candid look into your home. That's what I like about the book. Well, and into your life, yeah, too. Yes, I, I do love to journal. So I think some of it is written from that perspective. And my husband began asking me, what people were asking me about homeschooling. And I told him it's the same 20 questions. And he encouraged me to write those questions down and start writing what the answers would be to the questions to share that with more people. So that's what this was birthed out of. This is really my husband's, (laughs) this has come from my husband's urging. Well, and your husband, of course, works for Channel 3. He's the weatherman, has been for a long Mm -hmm. time. Tim Simpson, a good friend of mine and a a good friend of the Mid-South. So really glad. Oh, yes. He he thinks you're awesome. Well, he's an awesome guy himself, and I really appreciate times we've spent together and shared about the Lord and just about our jobs being in the media industry. That's right. Uh, Lee, I want to back up a little bit about your family because you actually mentioned in your book about your dad, Bob. He first met your mom, Aloha, that's by right. the way, and I love that name, Aloha. That, yes. That's actually your mom's name. Yes. But they met in Bible college, I guess, soon after he got married and served as missionaries. Well, they met in Old Testament survey class. There's a cute little story that my dad asked my mother what her name was, and she said, Aloha. She said it means hello. And he thought, well, Hello. And then she said, it also means goodbye. And I thought, oh, dear. And then she said, it also means I love you. So they began to progress from that point, And they met and they found that they were interested in really the same life journey, which was to serve in the ministry. And they had come from completely different places before that. But at that point, they wanted to serve the Lord full time. And they married and they went directly to the mission field after they raised support. They were on the mission field for over 50 years. Now, I understand that they actually came back to the U.S. for a period of time. That's when you were born. Is that right? You were well, born in the I, U.S. or were you born I was born in the in, West Indies? I was born in Ohio. That was where our mission board was located. And I was born and we went to the mission field six months after I was born. So I was pretty new when they took me to the mission field. And that was their first journey there. I guess it depends on where you are in the world. Our family served as missionaries. On the island of Guam, Guam is like living in America, basically. It's U.S. territory, and right. all the comforts and features of home are right there. You're just 10,000 miles on the other side of the world. Probably a little bit different than the West Indies when it came to education. Typically, in some mission organizations, uh, missionaries sometimes really forced to, in some situations, send their kids to boarding school. Yes. That was an option, but your mom didn't choose boarding school. 
Well, in the West Indies, believe it or not, there was no education for the local people of the islands. Missionaries often sent their children to boarding schools. My mother wasn't going to consider that and began doing what we would call homeschooling. It wasn't coined that at the time, but there were schools in the United States that would send a box that was appropriate for the grade. For example, if you wanted first grade, they would put together all of their first grade materials and send it to a missionary, and right. in this case, my mother. So she did have a secondary education degree. Not that that is necessary to be a good homeschooler, but I'm sure that that helped her to be successful. She started teaching us an elementary level. I'm sure you would take breaks for furlough time. Well, we were there for four years, and then we took a break for a year back in the United States in South Carolina, and then we were back into the West Indies again. Is that when you were in sixth grade? Because it was at that point you say in your book that you were completely dropped into a new culture. It was fourth and fifth grade I was dropped into the American culture. Is that when your white skin became an issue? Because you well, mentioned this in your book. And in that's the what Caribbean, I was... I was the only Caucasian girl in the group of people that I knew except for one other missionary girl. So that was just common to me. I loved living there. I had very positive, happy memories from being in the West Indies. But it was very rural. Later in my life as an adult, I've taken trips into India to do mission work amongst the children there. When I've seen the poverty of that third world country, I mean, it is so much that still. It seemed familiar to me because the huts were in places where the ground was mud. And that was the floor of the place that they lived. And the huts were built with things like parts of the trees or tin roofs, you know, that sort of thing right, was exactly. very familiar to me. Right. And just walking in an area where people were barefooted and they're just very, very third world and great poverty. So that was my early life as a missionary child in the Caribbean. And when I came into the States in fourth and fifth grade, I might have looked like everybody else, but I wasn't inside. Inside you felt different. No. I was a third culture kid is what yeah. they call it because I'm not in the culture. I'm never what I live in. I'm never yeah. like I'm on the mission field, but I'm not really West Indian. I'm not I dark. I totally, totally understand. I don't have the British accent. I don't speak Patois, which was the language spoken there. You know, even later living in Hawaii on an outer island, not what you envision in the postcards, but an outer island, mostly Japanese, almost all Japanese or Filipino Japanese. Then again, the only Caucasians in that environment as well. Um, of course, we have some of our dearest friends from that place. I was a teenager there. But wherever you live in the world, there's always oppression toward a particular group of people. Unfortunately, that is sin sure. and evil as we know it. And, well, and you know, too, human nature is that and, way. And, you know, too, Leah, that was something that our kids experienced, too. Our youngest son, I remember when he came back, he was four when we first moved to the island, came back, and he felt the same kind of because, mm-hmm. you know, he had been around all kinds of cultures, you know, from Asia and the island people and stuff. So we were minorities, you know, right. even on the island. Sure. And I remember our oldest son when we went, he was 12 at the time. It was a little harder for him because he was very involved in playing baseball here, and he he wanted to play baseball when he got there, but he was the only white boy on the team, Right, and they really gave him a hard time. We all had that experience, feeling what it's like to be a minority among a people group, to have an understanding of what that's like. I always feel like I love the person inside the skin, and and I don't want to be thought of as someone who only likes the skin that I'm in and people that have similar skin to myself. I love going into new cultures and meeting people and hearing their stories. I know you like to hear stories 
of people's lives and you're a storyteller and I do love to hear people's stories and I'm maybe particularly drawn in a group setting or in a room to the person who is different than everyone else. I've always been the one different. You know, when I came back to the United States, I did not know how to play kickball. Unbeknownst to the adults, we were left on the playground and that left the bullies in charge. I've always been sensitive when I'm in charge of children to make sure children are supervised during playtime as well. There are always people that don't know exactly what are going, what's going on. I was one of those. I just didn't know the games. Yeah. I don't know the rules. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what clothes to wear. I don't know what the social norms are. And I really don't know what the jokes are. And that would be the case for people coming in to our culture in a new place. Or maybe even if you move to a new region, you feel that way. But I'm used to feeling new. That's sort of normal. <laughs> you know. So I always want others to feel comfortable if they feel new. You remember your mom on the back patio praying. Yes. That was really impactful to you. I mean, that really spoke to you when you saw the consistency of her reading the Bible and praying every day yes. on that patio. Yes. I remember she would get up in the morning and turn on the stove top because we had to boil all of our water to drink and to use in cooking. So I remember her turning on these gigantic pots on the stove. For some reason, she should boil all that water for the day, sometimes more later. But then going to the patio and I would just eavesdrop sometime just listening because i was curious what she was doing out there for so long and i just felt like she thought god was real and that just impacted me and i I believed in it and then i am the oldest so sometimes she didn't have a helper so i was it and when i was older some of my fondest memories were the things that we did and that was that was an advantage i had over i think a lot of my peers i did not have a lot of friends my age and those that i did have were not making Decisions that are wise, either spiritually or morally. And so a lot of times I decided that I would rather please God than have those friends. I do remember in ministry in particular, back to that, that some of my fondest memories were trying things that I thought were somewhat impossible, like going up under a tree with a cooler and all of our children's materials and some of our things that we would hand to the children. And some of these areas where children, very, very poor areas where the children were sort of running wild and not well supervised, uh, we would go and just try to gain audience with these children and start singing and playing games. And they would come and we would tell them about the Lord because that was why we were there. And some, you know, those five-day clubs, maybe you've heard of that. Sure. So we'd come sometimes five days in a row, just teach them through some some simple Bible stories and to sing and teach them the scripture and tell them about the Lord. And those were normally areas that had no churches. And sometimes we started churches that way. So felt like I came into adulthood knowing how to teach especially in a church setting, and just feeling comfortable doing that, just simply taking a Bible story and retelling it. I just never felt like we needed a lot of fancy Sunday school material. You've got the Bible. You can read the Bible, the straight story out of the Bible, and retell the story in your own words in a maybe animated way that would appeal to the children, biblically correct, but trying to get them excited about reading the Bible for themselves and teaching them the simple kind of acts to sort of church well, planting ideas. I just found that whole experience so fascinating. I'm so glad you brought that into your book and helps. I felt laid a wonderful foundation for you as a person, just how the values were instilled in you, what you learned mm-hmm. from that experience and, and how that moved you into adulthood. You know, where were you when you met Tim Simpson? <laughs> Well, I was in college. I was coming into school, actually, as an 18-year-old when he first saw me. Is that Bob Jones? um, Well, he was already finished. When I was a freshman, I was 18, he was 24. 
<laughs> doesn't seem. But it wasn't Bob Jones. It, it was. It okay. was. So I was starting, and he was already finished, and that made. Because I remember he told the story. Right. His dad drug him to school. He did not want to go to Bob Jones. He did. I chose between two schools. My parents were actually graduates of Bob Jones. My dad had gone to Bob Jones. Just really, he did not know how to read and had dropped out of high school. And when he came to love the Lord, he decided that he wanted to tell others and not feeling very worthy himself, but knowing he needed the education. He went to Bob Jones, even though he didn't have the money to do so. They said, come on and we'll help you. So he had gone there. My mother had gone. There's another story for that one, too. But my mother had gone there. So that was familiar to me. That was an area that we had a lot of supporting churches. They have a phenomenal program for fine arts, for communications, for nursing education. They still are quite excellent in their academic training. Well, of course, David Bott, who was mm-hmm. DeBott's youngest son, used to manage the station. He has since passed, mm-hmm. but he and his wife both, Carice Clark, yes. uh, her father oh, yes. taught in the medical school there at Bob Jones, Dr. Yes. Clark. Mm-hmm. Hugh Clark, I believe it was. I'm not sure. I believe that was right. But anyway, how hard did Tim have to persuade you to marry him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, my children have just found this out, but (laughs) we became engaged about a month after our first date. But I intended to tell him I wouldn't go out with him because he had asked about me off and on for about two years before he asked me out. But I think the age difference played into that. When I left home at 18, I wanted to go to college, but I was on my own because we were not fully supported at that time. So going all the way from Hawaii was where we were located to South Carolina is quite a distance, and that was my expense, and everything was my expense. So when I got to Christmas, I stayed in South Carolina with some friends, and that's where he would see me at church and asked about me. But the age difference, I'm sure, had played into why he just kept asking. But yeah. never, I, I really, I only knew that he was asking because the lady who I stayed with, I was friends with her girls, and she would always tell me everything that Tim asked. So they were business <laughs> um, acquaintances. She yeah. was in real estate, and he was working at a TV station there locally. Your first pregnancy, you had twins. I did. And it didn't go like you and Tim had hoped for. Well, before that, it had taken me a while to get pregnant, and I may have missed putting that in there, but I had a hard time conceiving and wasn't expecting that. Nobody ever is. And so we did lose twins, and along the way, we lost six babies. So that probably played into why we have five children. <laughs> I never had a number in my mind when we started off. Something that a lot of people try to balance when it comes to homeschooling is, why am I going to do this? You know, Mm -hmm. and people, for various reasons, because of the education system, violence in schools. I mean, there's, you know, a variety of reasons why Mm -hmm. people look at it. When you talk about setting goals for you to homeschool, what are some important things to look at when you're setting goals to be a homeschool parent? Well, I think one of the first things you should do is make sure that you and your husband are on the same If you're the lady or the fellow, maybe check with your wife on this to make sure that you are embracing the lifestyle that comes from homeschooling. In fact, that's one of the advantages, I feel, is the lifestyle that is available through homeschooling. There are so many things to look at. I think you have to know why you're going to homeschool because it isn't easy. And if you know where you're going and why you are headed that way, it helps you to organize your daily schedule, your yearly schedule, and your lifestyle If you don't really have the goals in place, you might be more likely to quit if you don't start out that way. Was Tim in agreement with you from the beginning? Were both of you on page when it came to homeschooling? I mean, you already had the experience in the background. So, I mean, how did that come Mm -hmm. to a place where you both said that, yeah, this is right for the Simpson family? Well, in my growing up, I moved quite a bit, as all 
children do when they're missionary kids. That's usually a common experience. So I did experience public school in several settings and private school. I had those fun experiences. I was transporting to school three hours a day as well. So I kind of had thought about those different environments for my family. And to me, I'm a learner. I love to learn. That's not everybody's uh, bent, but I love to learn. And so I felt like it gave those you know children like me an opportunity to learn more what they were gifted to learn or what they were interested in learning. And those that might struggle with learning, it would give us an opportunity to make that less obvious to them where they're not labeled. And also we could do the learning in a format that created a more successful outcome. I think that's such a key there. Uh, what's been Tim's participation? Because you talk about both being on board, yes, which is so important when you're doing this. Obviously, he's going out and working the mm-hmm. job. Yes. Of course, you're doing the job at home and, of course, doing school, too. How do you balance those responsibilities? Well, we've been married almost 30 years here in April, and so we have been on this journey quite a while together. I think that, of course, as you mentioned, the first obvious thing is that he has pursued a career and brought in the income so that we can homeschool. There have been many times during the journey that I've earned income as well, but that hasn't been the consistent plan. Um, He participates in reading. We have two boys at home that are high schoolers right now. He participates currently in reading to them either scripture or books that he wants them to know. If you have children that are grown, you know how fast that happens. So you want to do what you can while you have them with you and be intentional about the things that you want them to learn, whether it's academics or it's something that's spiritual or moral as well. We also have the opportunities to take them on some outings, sometimes even service opportunities or, you know, where there's an opportunity to show compassion to someone who has a need. It might need to happen during school hours. Normally we're very strict. I'm very strict with school hours because we do aim to have excellence in our academics, but there is some flexibility in participating in some things to grow you in a different way. Leah, somebody might read your book and envy you because oh. you are so organized and well, you seem to have it all together. Oh, I don't have it all together. <laughs> that, that is that is a myth for sure. So what about somebody who says, you know, time management is not my thing. Should they not be a candidate to be a homeschool parent if that's their case? Well, they bring other gifts. They probably are more fun. <laughs> oh, that's where, That's another thing that Tim contributes. He's very fun. I'm definitely more serious, so he brings the fun factor in. And because I'm so serious and organized, he he can you know take the kids out for food they shouldn't be eating because they're more, normally going to be exposed to healthier <laughs> menu. You know, that's a typical dad thing, yeah. isn't it? Though? Yes, it is. <laughs> it's a typical dad thing. Um, some dads, actually, if an, a dad, I've noticed this over the years, I have a couple of friends who have very academic men that they are married to. I've told them they should not share this with their girlfriends because these are the fellows that like to jump in and help with academics or the projects or the writing. But I've often told my girlfriends that have husbands like that, don't tell everyone because they're going to be terribly <laughs> jealous. It's not a one-person job homeschooling. It is a two-person job in their home, so they get a lot of help. But for those women that are married to academic fellows, then they, they, they've got a little bit of an advantage. And sometimes it's like that. Sometimes the, the dad is more academic and so he, he does want to get very involved, yeah. and that's a different dimension. Tim's quite content for me to figure out the academics. <laughs> he, he, does, he does like to um, – I like to ask his opinion, though, often on things, especially when I can't quite come to a conclusion. 
you offer caution of diverting your children from the necessary rigors of school. I like that term, rigors of school. Mm-hmm. Education can be hard. You know, I'm not saying it can't be fun. It can't be interesting. But there are some fundamentals of education. Sure. With today's technology and with today's way of discovering education, I think you can miss out. And I like how you put that. I want you to explain. Give us okay. some examples of it, if you would. Well, I've I've read actually in the last week of a survey that's saying that homeschoolers were representing almost 4% of the student population in 2012. It's a Barna survey, and they are now representing somewhere over 8%. So it's doubled in the last four years. And I do feel like that many people, especially professional women, people that are already working full-time and they're like active parents, intentional parents, whether it's a public or private setting, they realize that their children are getting behind and maybe they're in a group or a herd. So some of the situations could be fixed maybe, but if, if they're still in the herd of kids, they, they can't sit with that one, you know, and catch them up. So I do feel like you've got to stick with the core academics and do them very well before you branch off into some of the more fun things. But memorizing, you know, understanding this is also laid out in my book in a, a great bit more detail, but laying out, a plan for the different stages of a child's development. For example, when we have little people around us, we know how they love to repeat things, whether it's the audio in the car or a movie or, or a story that you've told them. And the repetitive part of that in a child can sometimes overwhelm a parent, especially if you have several little people repeating things. So that is actually a clue that they are in the grammar stage of learning. So whether it is learning multiplication, whether it is learning facts, school facts, or whether it is learning scripture, or whether, here's another thing, whether they're learning a something that is hygiene or maintenance in the home, they like to do things over and over and over and over. They like the repetition. So we need to grab them up in that grammar stage yeah. of learning and do things that they're going to have to know that later when they get to the next stage, which is dialectic, or the next stage, which is rhetoric, They'll have basically a foundation built in place. I mean, math is an easy one to go at. If you learn multiplication tables when you're young, let's say second, third, fourth grade, and you really master that, you may not completely understand it, but later as your math clarity comes, you already have all of that file. It's all grammar back in your mind, and you just have that skill. For example, too, I wished I had you for my science class because uh, science really came tough for me in school. You it was know? hard for me, too. <laughs> but you say in your book that science offers many non-traditional learning options. Yes. And you like to notebook because you like to journal as a family, as you mentioned. And I yes. like the idea of creating these notebooks. Talk about that. Well, there's a long-term goal in there. And that is that all of us need to be writers, correct? And when we get into the high school years, we need to make sure that our children are mastering their skills of writing and speaking as much as we can before they launch. So the writing part starts early at my house. (laughs) And science is so fun, lower level. And I have to tell you that as a student, even though I was a very strong student academically, science was my most disliked subject. I can say that now. I ter- determined when I started homeschool, I would never tell my children what I didn't like to learn for fear they would grab up <laughs> yeah. my emotion about it. Yeah. So science was hard because I thought it was very boring. But when I was a homeschool mom, 
It was one of my favorite things. It was the fun thing we saved for later in the afternoon. We studied one subject at a time, an immersion of sorts. Like maybe we studied about birds. For example, my daughter is married to a fellow that almost has his doctor's degree. And she heard a bird outside their window at our house and ran to see if it was a blue bunting. And he goes, oh, what? He goes, oh, my goodness. Do you know all the bird names? She goes, well, I don't know if I remember all of them. But then she goes, but I can go get a bunch of stuff from the schoolroom and I'll show you the charts. You know, So she remembers that because we studied birds twice for six months at a time. So we went in deep. We did immersion instead of like a chapter for two weeks and a chapter for another two weeks. So it yeah. just it becomes a blur at that point. And we went out, we watched birds and we looked at them through binoculars and we drew them and colored them and then we wrote about them just like you said the notebooking i think that's just so wonderful it is it it is a lot of fun well so much we could talk about i've got a whole bunch more questions but we can't we don't have time to go through everything uh you talk about helping your children to pursue opportunities to serve outside the home yes i like that area that you share uh something else i kind of want to close out on because i think this is something gets missed and that is your goal of better self-care, which includes, by the way, skydiving. Yes. You have done I, that. I did. I did. did. Yeah. I did. There's there's a lot of adventure in me, but I know I have to be responsible. So there has to be a balance, right, between responsibility and fun. But I think some parents get so involved, you know, in the moment. they got to pull away mm-hmm. and remember that time for themselves, yes. you know. Yes. Fun stuff. You play the guitar. You I, sing. I love music. I love um, to play and to sing. Um, that was something we did when I was growing up, more so than I've had the opportunity to do as an, an adult. And I've also probably put my music interest into teaching my children or having them sitting with them at the piano, for example, and working through their music so they're prepared every week instead of doing something for myself at the piano or on the guitar. Um, I would say that, that self-care thing is pretty important if you're a very intense mom or an intentional parent and you've just given so much to your home. I do encourage you to really look at the time you're spending with your husband and make sure you think that that is done well. There's a whole whole speech that I have about saving room for dessert, and it's it's kind of geared toward making sure you and your husband enjoy what you had when you were boyfriend and girlfriend, but now you're married, so it can be even more fun, right? Leah, you're going to have to come back. I mean, mm-hmm. there's so much more to talk about here. I can see it already. You know, I think this has been a great program Thanks for our listeners. Me. The last chapter in the book, I just want to mention now, we don't have time to talk about it, 10 Ways to Save Money on Homeschooling. Yes. It's so practical. I mean, if you're looking at homeschooling, if you are currently engaged in homeschooling, you need this book. Again, the title is Nurturing My Nest by Leah Van Simpson, Intentional Home Building Ideas and Custom Built Homeschooling. Okay. It's right here. It's a great read. I love the way it's laid out. Thank you. It's very well done. Thank you for having me. Leah, thank you so much for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom to help homeschoolers. I would like to strengthen families. That's my goal. Well, I think you did it here today. Thank you so much for being our guest. Friends, that's all the time we have on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I do want you to get a copy of this book. Leah, again, how do we get a copy of your book? It's on Amazon. You can order it. If you have Amazon Prime, you'll have it in two days. It's also on a Kindle version if you prefer to read on your iPad. Okay. And there'll be a couple of book signings. Will you let me know? And I'll let listeners know. And if you want a book quickly... They have them on the shelf at Novel, which is our local bookstore here. Okay. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Friends, we'll talk to you next time. I'm Byron Tyler. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.